Welcome to Spiritual Grit, the podcast where we talk real talk about spirituality through the lens of activism and social justice. What happens when activism and spiritual practices collide? What sparks of change call for the grit we need to create meaningful strides in social justice? I'm your host, Leslie Ann Hobayan, poet, priestess, activist, professor, hip-hop dancer, and badass mama. Join me as we dive in to learn more about our deepest selves so that we can be better ancestors to create a stellar world for our descendants. Grab your dancing shoes and let's get groovy with the grit right now. Hello, loves. Welcome to another episode of Spiritual Grit. How are you on this gorgeous day? I hope wherever you are, you are feeling pretty fantastic. Also, I hope you're liking the new intro music because I'm really digging it. I hope you're having as much fun with this podcast as I am. Uh, Spiritual Grit is something that just feels like these two areas of interest, for lack of a better way of saying it, coming together and rubbing up against each other, spirituality and activism. And it's not often that we hear about both of them coming together and intersecting. It feels like one is separate from the other. It's like, how can you be an activist and a spiritualist? Because we have this impression that spirituality is um, more passive. It's like you just sit down and meditate and activism is very much engaged with the physical world where, you know what? that is not correct. <laughs> and I'm here to, to talk a little bit about that today because um, something something happened in, um, in a community that I'm part of, and there was a real uh, test of those two things coming together. And, and so I'm going to talk a little bit about that. But first, we're going to turn to Hafez uh, and our Sufi mystic poet as our uh, I guess our invocator is like an invocation of spirit to come into our, our space today. And so today's poem is called A Root in Each Act and Creature. The sun's eyes are painting fields again. Its lashes with expert strokes are sweeping across the land. A great palette of light has embraced this earth. Hafez, if just a little clay and water mixed in his bowl can yield such exquisite scents sights, music, and whirling forms. What unspeakable wonders must await with the commencement of unfolding of the infinite number of petals that are the soul? What excitement will renew your body when we all begin to see that his heart resides in everything? God has a root in each act and creature that he draws his mysterious divine life from. His eyes are painting fields again. The beloved, with his own hands, is tending, raising like a precious child himself in you. Ooh, there's a lot in there. There's a lot in there. Wow. I don't know if I've read this poem um, in quite some time. So it's so... It's so great that this poem has come forward today, uh, thinking about the different layers. So we've got the divine. Well, first we've got the sun. The sun's eyes are painting fields again. And we've got this beautiful landscape of nature that Hafez describes and how 
there is divinity in that and how magnificent God's creation is and how simple and so how simple he says, um, a little clay and water mixed in his bowl can yield such exquisite scents, sights, music, and whirling forms, right? And so thinking about how there is divine in everything, in nature, in all that we see. And, and then it goes to say, God has a root in each act and creature that he draws his mysterious life force from, right? So he has root in each of us. And that is in our divine spirit, in our divine light, you know, namaste, as I say, at the end of every episode, the divine light in me bows to the divine light in you. And that is God. We are all part of God. And I've said this in, in, you know, time and time and again, that to think of ourselves as the rays of the sun, we are not the sun individually. We are part of the sun. The source of the sun is at its center and we radiate out from that. And so we are part, both part of the sun and sort of an extension of the sun. And so that's, that's how I like to think of it. But the, the last stanza, the beloved with his own hands is tending, raising like a precious child himself in you. And so what comes to mind is you've got the nature image and then he's tending like a garden, he's tending the garden, but then the garden, the the, the blossom, the flower, the plant is not just a plant. It's a child. It's the child that is within you. And that child is seen as God, as your inner child. Um, it's just so many layers. It's so rich. And I'm going to have to earmark this poem and look at it again, <laughs> just to, to kind of digest that because um, there's so many, so many layers between nature and landscape and the miracle of life and the divinity and all of that and how we as humans are part of that landscape, even though more often than not, we forget that. We forget that we are part of the design of life, of the world, of the planet, the universe. We are all part of it. We're not separate. We're not better. We're not higher or lower. Um, but we forget that because our egos, our conscious minds like to play with us, <laughs> like to test us, like to say, Hey, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to let you believe that you are better than the plants because you have logical thinking. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to let you think that. Um, meanwhile, the plants know when to bloom, when to rest when to die, when to be reborn. I mean, they know all that and we resist that, don't we? <laughs> I just think about how much of us, how many of us resist that cycle of life. Um, you know, thinking about like anti-aging creams, for example, thinking about how a lot of us are afraid of death and we tend to ignore our own mortality. Uh, we, ignore the seasons of our life, you know, as we're aging, it's like, no, no, no. I used to be able to do that. And I still can do that. I insist that I can still do that thing, whatever it is. Um, and maybe you can with practice, but because our physical bodies age with time, then we need to be kind to ourselves and understand that, you know, maybe we can train a little bit more to do the thing. Like, you know, I'm specifically thinking about a friend of mine who I recently found out was a skateboarder when she was in high school, like she was a skater girl. And I was so excited about that because my youngest is into skateboarding right now. And, um, 
And so I was like, oh my God, can you teach her some stuff? She's like, no, I cannot. I cannot do those things anymore. And I was insisting. I was like, no, 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 I'm sure you can. Like the body remembers things, muscle memory, all this other stuff. And she's like, I don't even know if I have the balance. And so it's interesting because I think about how um, our bodies can change. And so to ask the question, what is left in that muscle memory, you know, maybe she just hasn't been on a board in a while. And when she, once she gets on one, maybe the balance will come back. I don't know. But in terms of the aging process, she's honoring where she is now. And I'm egging her on. I'm like, yeah, come on, you can do it. <laughs> and I mean, that's just, that's just ego, right. Coming into play and thinking, well, maybe, maybe she can, but maybe we'll take more practice. It'll take more time. You know, I'm not one to limit people just because they are of a certain age or a certain ability. Um, But what I'd like to do is to recognize where we are now and taking that into account as we travel towards the place we want to be. So yeah, so she wants to skate again, my friend that is, then maybe she starts with standing on a board, you know, and going down the driveway, <laughs> trying out her balance. <laughs> I'm not going to send her to the skate park and try to do tricks like ollies and, you know, flipping the board and whatever else those that language is. I'm not familiar with the skater language, <laughs> but um, but yeah, to honor to honor where we are. Okay, so I want to shift gears a little bit and share with you this experience I had uh, recently in a, a community of women uh, mixed. Uh, races, we'll say. Uh, There's white women in there. There's women of color. Uh, There might be some non-binary folks in there, but they're not very vocal. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure, but it is open to women and and non-binary folks. And so uh, I I was talking, I I made a post in this group and, and made an offer to say, hey, uh, there's a program I'm thinking about putting together for writers that um, help us avoid emotional or vulnerability hangover. Now, when writers write about deep trauma, deep experiences of pain, of hurt, um, of violation, we go into the same nervous system response that we did at the time of the event. And these, th- this is no, these are, these are, there are scientific studies. Uh, Bessel van der Kolk talks about it in his book, how the body, uh, the body keeps the score. And um, what happens is when we go into that traumatic response, even if we are just writing about it, our nervous system gets fried. It's just like, you know, ah, this is happening. Let's go into survival mode. And so I want to offer this program. And I talked a little bit about it last episode. I want to offer this program to, um, to writers uh, in helping them build resilience for their nervous systems and to um, step into self-trust so that they can write these stories without too much emotional or vulnerability hangover. And so I, you know, placed this out into the community and said, would anyone be interested? It would be movement, some meditation, maybe a little bit of magic, you know, ritual, tarot card readings, um, and the like, stuff like that. 
And so I got a few folks that were like, yes, oh my God, yes, totally interested, want to do this, tell me more. Uh, this is so important. And, um, and yeah, that's, you know, I got, I got thumbs up. I got thumbs up. And then I had um, one woman put a comment in there and, uh, and she, <laughs> she said, not to sound snarky, but what exactly are your qualifications to run a program like this? Now, I will say it is a valid question, right? Because who am I? You know, who am I to be offering something like this, especially when it comes to topics of trauma, which uh, already put people in a, a place of vulnerability, right? I get that. But for her to preface the phrase, the question with, um, not to sound snarky, but already colors, already taints the question that she's asking. So not to sound snarky, but the but doesn't do anything. You're sounding snarky by saying that, right? And I, and I was like, okay, so she, she wants me to explain myself. She wants me to justify myself. She wants me to prove myself. Um, it's not really a matter of my qualifications. The way she posed the question is basically saying like, who the heck are you to be doing something like this? And so I recognized that, that she really wasn't interested in my qualifications. So I just said, hey, if you're interested in the program, you know, come to my free class and you can find out more about me, you know, because I, I don't feel the need to have to justify myself. If folks are interested, they can decide for themselves if they want to work with me. They can decide, you know, they can do their own due diligence about my qualifications. If they came to the class, they would know, like I would, that's how I open my classes. You know, I say, Hey, a little bit about myself. This is what I do. Here are my certifications. Here's my experience, et cetera, et cetera. And so, um, so I left that. And then another person comes in and, and says, well, a straight, uh, it's a straightforward, it's an excellent question. And it's a, it requires a simple and straightforward answer. You know, she was responding to me because she didn't like the fact that I said, come join my class to find out more about me. Didn't like her tone either because here, here come the police, right? Here come the, the justification police. Like, who are you to come in here and do this and la la la. So I said, okay, you know what? I'm going to step back and ignore them because that they're not worth my time. And so I stepped, I took a step back and I, I was thinking about it because the women who were leaving comments were white women. Right. And so I'm asking myself, okay, as a woman of color, this feels like they're coming for me. It feels like they, um, see me as a woman of color and you need to justify yourself. You need to prove yourself to the system that you can actually do this. And this is the problem with um, that a lot of people of color, not just women, but people of color deal with. It's this feeling of I'm not good enough or I'm not qualified enough or this or that, you know, and, and yes, people in general have these feelings and beliefs from time to time. But when you live in a system that is designed to oppress you, it is that much harder to not believe that, to get out of that belief system of, 
well, you're less than unless you can prove to me that you've got your five PhDs, that you've got a 6.0 GPA. No such thing as that, but that's just like overachieving number, right? You got to prove to me every credential that you can get before you can even do anything. And this is what paralyzes a lot of people from doing anything. It paralyzes people from taking action in their own lives, from starting the business that they want, from even speaking up. And that is how the system works. That is how systemic racism works. It creates a sense of not worthiness, a sense of fear, and I will not stand for it. I won't. And so I just left it at that. And I, you know, I thought about it and I was like, okay, do I, um, do I just leave it be? I'm just going to leave it be because it's not worth my energy and my emotional labor to expend on those women. Um, because the people who want to work with me will have a conversation with me and they'll ask me like, Hey, you know what? I'm really interested, but I'm also kind of wary because this is a big deal. Um, can you tell me a little bit about the work you do and, and your experience with that? Cool. Like have a conversation with me. Right. But be, these white women are just here to come get me and I, and I'm not, I'm not dealing with it. So, um, so I just left it alone and, you know, I will say that I was probably spending more mental energy on it than I probably should have, <laughs> but I, I was asking myself the question, what, how am I responding? You know, so this is where the, the spiritual part comes in to the conversation. You know, I am responding in a certain way to these, these women's comments. And the question that, that came up is, is this a trauma response for me? Yes. Is this also a racist response? Not, not my response, but them coming for me is, is my perception that two white women are challenging me, a woman of color is my perception that it's racist or based in racism valid you know, and here's, here's the thing about, about racism. People of color question ourselves all the time. You know, we, we've got self-doubt. It's like, oh, you know, am I, am I playing the race card too much? Uh, am I, am I really seeing that? Is this a race thing? I'm not sure. You know, we second guess ourselves and that, ooh, mm -mm, that needs to stop. That totally, it stops here. It stops now. If you feel that, Honor that. Trust your gut. Trust your instincts. Don't let people tell you otherwise. So I asked the question, you know, does it feel like these white women are coming for me and asking me, a woman of color, to prove myself? The answer, yes. The answer is yes. Now, I will say the little itty bitty voice in me, which is probably the ego, probably Jake, if you guys are new to the show, Jake is my ego and he's a little Jack Russell Terrier. <laughs> he's probably saying, well, maybe you should give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they've been hurt. You know, maybe they are speaking from their own terrible experiences with people, maybe therapists who didn't help them with their own traumas and they're, they've got a knee-jerk reaction. Okay. I'll take that into account. But did any, either of them come to my free class to find out more? No, because they're not interested. They just want me to explain myself. 
and I'm not about to do that. But then, so this is, you know, this is what, this is what I decided. And I said, well, you know, the people that showed interest, I will reach out to them and it'll be fine. We'll just move on. But then another white woman pops up onto the, onto the thread and says, and tags the original uh, woman who posed the question, not to sound snarky, but what are your qualifications? So this third white woman comes in, tags the original woman and says, excellent question. I think we deserve some transparency here, especially when people are so vulnerable um, after, you know, when it comes to matters of trauma and a straightforward answer, you know, and, and this requires a straightforward answer or something like that. I can't remember word for word. And so I said, I said, okay, so now we've got this. And to myself, I'm saying, we've got this third person asking, okay, I am going to respond now because people are watching because the folks who commented and said that they're interested in my program are watching. They are, they are watching to see how I respond. They want to see if they want to work with me based on whatever response I give. If it's a non-response, then they'll be like, I don't want to work with this person, you know, because she hides, you know, she got something to hide. And, um, and so it was, it, it was interesting because internally I was having this conversation. Okay. If we answer and explain and give our qualifications, does that give our power away? Does that fall into the hands of white splaining? <laughs> That's not white splaining. That's tech. I'm not using that term correctly. <laughs> does it fall into the hands of trying to justify yourself to, to sounding defensive, you know, to, to over explaining yourself and, and sounding insecure, whatever, does it play into that? Or does it show that I'm a leader and that I will not take shit? So I said, I'm going to respond and we'll, we'll see what happens. So, because the question deserved an answer and I'm sure the folks that, that were interested would like to know what my qualifications are for offering a program like this. So I answered this third person, this third woman. I said, yes, yes, of course. Here is my straightforward answer. And then I listed all of my credentials, you know, 500 hour uh, certified yoga teacher, yoga and meditation teacher, 220 hour certified Kundalini yoga teacher, certified breathwork facilitator, all the things like I could go on this list, but I'm not going to do that on the podcast because you guys know me. And if you don't know me, you could go look me up, right? So after I, I said that, and I also included, you know, that I am a published poet and writer who is a survivor of rape and a survivor of childhood trauma as the child of immigrant parents who fled martial law. There, I write about trauma. I do yoga. I got experience. I have training. I have skills. And then I said, is that, is that enough qualification or do you need more? And then I said, the reason I'm asking this question is because how do we know when someone is qualified? Who gets to decide when your qualifications are enough? And I said, as, a, as, as folks of color, like myself, 
there is this need and expectation for us to go above and beyond to prove ourselves, to prove ourselves worthy, to prove ourselves smart enough, to prove ourselves that we can do the things that we say that we can. Meanwhile, white folks, they don't have to do that. Um, and so I said, yeah, so here you go. There you go. There's my answer. And then I, and then I circled back to the original um, person who, who posted that's the question about um, qualifications with her preface of not sounding snarky, which already lends itself to, um, to that. And I said, uh, and for the record, oh no, I said, to be clear, I'm not offering therapy. I am not asking for people to share their traumas. I'm offering movement and meditation and ritual as ways to create resilience in our nervous systems and to build self-trust. That's what I'm doing. So before you get all of your panties in a wad, read the post clearly first before you all come after me. And then I said at the end to, to circle back to that original post the original comment by that first white woman. I said, you know, phrases, prefaces like not to sound snarky, but already lend themselves to doing the thing that you're trying to disclaim. Something very similar to that is not to sound racist, but when someone has to preface what they're about to say with phrases like that, it tells you that that's the thing that they're actually doing, right? And then I said, if the question were asked directly, then maybe an answer would have been given directly. But because it was not to sound snarky, but who wants to answer that question, right? That's not a very inviting way of posing the question. Not to sound snarky, but like, who the hell are you? Because that's exactly what the question was. Who the hell are you? You think a person wants to respond to that? my response would be like, well, who the hell are you to ask me that question in the first place? So then the third person just said, thank you for your response. And she left it. Good, good. There you go. So I tell you this whole story because there's a few things happening here. Okay. We've got the issue of race coming into play where we've got white women trying to come after a woman of color to prove herself worthy of whatever it is that I'm doing. It's like, that's my business. You don't want part of it, move away, you know? But then there's, there's so that's, that's sort of the activist um, piece of it. Now, the spiritual piece of it is, for me, trusting my own inner knowing, trusting my intuition, trusting myself and not second guessing, like, Am I, am I playing the race card too much? You know, no, no, never. So also from the, the spiritualist perspective to look at these women and say, okay, why are they like this? Why are they responding in this way? Why are they coming at me in this way? And I said it earlier, it's like, you know, perhaps they were wounded badly by a previous experience with someone who did not care for them, for someone who may have re-traumatized them. Maybe they're, you know, feeling extra raw from that experience. 
and take it upon themselves to police everybody else who's trying to do some good in the world. And, and so as a spiritualist, I can choose to engage or not engage. And I chose to engage, but in a way that felt in integrity to me, that it did not feel like I was defensive. I was answering the question, but I was not defensive. I also stood my ground and called them out on their shit, you know, because you don't come after me. You don't, it's not nice, but also you don't know who you're messing with, right? So spiritual, spirituality is not all kumbaya, you know, it's not all like, oh, we are all one. We are all one, but we are in these human physical bodies and we are here to help each other grow. And sometimes helping other people grow, helping each other grow looks hard. It looks like conflict. It looks like challenge and that's okay. You know, I could be all like, we are all one, but if you're going to treat me like shit, I am not going to take it. I'm not going to stand for it. You know, I have boundaries and you need to understand those boundaries. And if that offends you, then that's yours to work through and grow from. Right. So it's just funny because visually, I just imagine all of us sort of like walking around on the planet in our little bubbles, and then we just bump into each other right? We, we, our bubbles bump into each other and then we either get mad or we get excited that we made contact. Now, sometimes the force of those bubbles coming into each other breaks the bubble or breaks the boundary. And then what happens? Then do we throw up our arms and be like, how could you, how could you burst my bubble? I can't believe you, you, uh," right. Or can it be, oh, this is different okay, what just happened? What information can I get from this? Can I learn something from this? Can I create a new bubble? Maybe the new bubble went from a clear bubble to now it's like slightly blue. That would be really cool. Like you, you, we have these plastic bubbles and then they like change colors with every moment of contact we make with another person. And then we soon collect like all these colors and have a rainbow bubble. (laughs) I don't know. I just think about that. that sounds really cool as far as a visual indicator of our, our spiritual growth. So, um, so yeah, so, so we've got, we've got those two coming together, right? So we've got, we've got the, the activist, you know, like intense, like, ah, I'm not going to stand for this. And then we've got the spiritual where we then inquire, we inquire deeply within ourselves, you know, cause earlier I said, is this a trauma response? for me, because my nervous system was activated. Yeah, I've got a resilient nervous system, right? But it doesn't mean I'm immune to a response. You know, our, our sympathetic nervous system is designed to activate anytime we feel threatened, anytime we feel danger, you know, it's, it's a matter of how can we um, allow ourselves that experience without sizzling the nerve endings without going, you know, frying them. Uh, How can we build resilience? So resilience is this, what I like, what I like to think of this thing is like elasticity, right? It's almost like this. um, I I just imagine the myelin sheath being this like really clear, 
and, and malleable surface that keeps our nerves protected. And, and it sort of like wobbles around when we have resilience, when we don't have resilience, it just, it thins out and the nerve goes, you know? So, um, so yeah. So even though I have worked on building resilience in my nervous system, doesn't mean I don't get activated. So I was activated, you know, by, by these women, I was like, oh my God, like, who are they? Why are they coming after me? And, and so I was asking myself, okay, what is this trauma response? It is a trauma response, but what is it a a response to what's the trauma? And so the trauma is the questioning, the, you know, are you who you say you are? Because we don't believe you. We need you to prove who you are. We need you to show us all of your degrees, all of your identification cards, all of your credentials, show us your report cards from like third grade so that we can see that you are smart enough, that you're worthy, and that you can deliver this program. It's almost like they were the program police, you know, like, who are you? We didn't see your application come in. You know, and so, and so flashbacks from childhood came in, not, not in a way that, um, that felt like I was literally living, reliving them, but it was just these small moments of like, oh yeah, I remember that time where someone questioned me and said, did you write this paper? Are you sure you didn't plagiarize it? Because they couldn't believe that I wrote that well, um, (laughs) that I even spoke English that well. And I'm like, uh, hello, I was born here in the States. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Uh, so those, those little, those little things got triggered. And so I was like, oh, this is the trauma response. This is what is happening. It's these moments that we forget, but the body never forgets. And when an external event happens, that feels familiar. The body goes, Oh, we know this. We know this. Look, they're coming after us. They want us to prove ourselves. What are we going to do? We're going to hide under the desk. We're going to pull out our file of, you know, scholarly papers. Are we going to pull out our hours of training that we did with various teachers, spiritual teachers, yoga teachers, even if those yoga teachers are not in integrity, You can check out a previous episode about that. I mean, really, what do qualifications do? Like, okay, I don't want to get into it too much, but if you think about certifications, right, what are they exactly? You go through something and then you get a piece of paper, right? But are you really doing the work? How do you know? How do you know someone's done the work? You know, so for example, I am certified in um, breath work as taught by David Elliott. I spent a week with him in um, upstate New York at Omega Institute. Beautiful place, by the way, highly recommend it. Um, Spent a week with him with a group and we went in deep with learning how to um, not only practice this breath work, but to facilitate it, to hold space, to know what to do if someone's having a a certain kind of reaction or response, Um, a whole week. A whole week. And when I say a whole week, it, it was six days um, from nine to six or something like that, nine to five. And, um, and then I got a little, certif- a little uh, certificate, 
right? That says, hey, you completed this, this training with David Elliott. Awesome. But then there are people out there who are also certified breathwork facilitators. And they take a training that is like three hours long. They're taught the physio- physiological practice of it, maybe given like a half hour on the emotional, spiritual part of it. But many of them are not taught how to hold space, how to hold sacred space where people feel held and feel safe. And so what happens is that these, these people just, you know, who are the the students get, get re-traumatized. They open up and then the facilitator doesn't know how to, how to close the circle, doesn't know how to close the energy. And so everyone's around walking around like an exposed nerve and, and, but that person's certified, right? So certification doesn't always guarantee that you're going to get a good teacher or a good facilitator. It really is up to us as individuals to do our research, to get to know the person, to find out more about them beyond just a piece of paper. Um, So yeah, so all that to say is I could have all the certifications in the world and I could be a really like piss poor facilitator. I could be awful. You know, and that's one of the reasons why I resisted initially responding to that snarky woman's request for qualifications, because what are qualifications, right? Do your due diligence, do your research, ask, you know, have a conversation with people. Um, And so it is a matter of us being who we are at our essence and showing up as that all the time, because I know people who are amazing at holding space, amazing at facilitating some deep practices and they don't have any certifications. You know, they didn't go to yoga school, for example. So everyone has their own gifts We don't need external validation. We don't need a piece of paper to say, hey, this is what I did. I mean, it helps for some, you know, for some folks to get that because there are businesses who are very scared of liability. And I get that. I mean, we live in a world where people need quote unquote proof, like physical three-dimensional proof. So, you know, do what you need to do, but know that if you are seeking somebody to work with, certifications aren't always the bar by which to rate a person or determine whether you'll work with them or not. Um, so yeah, and I, and I just, yeah, I just wanna say that this is really about going within and asking yourself, what am I seeking? What am I looking to do? Um, what is my purpose in life and how can I get there? How can I do that thing in a way that feels aligned in a way that flows, um, and helping the people that I'm meant to help? How do I listen to my inner self, you know, and try to block out those people, (laughs) you know? Um, 
So that is what I wanted to share with all of you uh, for this episode, as this story is an illustration of having spirituality and activism and just racial awareness in general coming together, you know, using using our spiritual practices as a way to inquire about the things that are happening in our lives, you know, not to get obsessive about it. Like, why is this happening? Why is this happening? Why is it? I mean, yeah. Ask why is this happening? What can I learn from this? You know, but to, to move in that direction with a sense of wonder and curiosity, not obsession, not like fixation. Like I got to know the answer that doesn't really help. (laughs) It's more an observation an invitation to get curious about what lessons might be weaving in some of these difficult challenges of life, or even the good ones, you know, when good things happen, ask yourself, Oh, this happened. I wonder what the message is there now, you know, there might not be a message in everything, (laughs) but you will know when you are pressed or when something feels activating, that there is a growth moment, a growth edge there. And so get curious about it and ask yourself, am I going to move forward? Am I going to take the leap into that, that growth spurt? Because you always have a choice. You can choose to, to stay in your safe zone and stay back. It's like, Ooh, yeah, no, you know what? I'm just going to stay over here. Like what I could have done with that whole discussion was I could have just opted out of any engagement. I could have shut down the post. I could have um, closed any more commenting. I could have blocked and deleted those women's comments. Um, I could have done any of that stuff, but that doesn't help me grow. It keeps me safe. It makes me feel like, okay, I'm held, but can I hold myself as I'm moving through that really tight birth canal? of growth. You know, it's like, Ooh, this is uncomfortable. I don't like it. I don't like it. But I know that I got myself. I got it. I can keep myself safe. I just know exactly what feels good for me and how far I can go in that discomfort before it starts to turn to excruciating pain. Right. We want to learn that line between excruciating pain and just discomfort. You don't want to harm yourself. You don't want to re-traumatize yourself. You know, we need to be kind to ourselves because a lot of people out there are not kind to us. And so if we're going to be our own best friends, let's learn a little kindness, a little gentleness, and we can still grow. It'll be uncomfortable, but it doesn't have to hurt. You know what I mean? Okay. All right. Cool. All right, my friends. I hope this was... I don't want to say enlightening because people say that a lot, but that's the word that comes to mind because it's, it's what I'm doing is I'm shining a light on, on some things that folks may or may not be paying attention to. Right. So, yeah. So I hope it's enlightening. Okay. So I am going to read a poem from the world. I leave you. I really love this anthology and I'm going to see if I can get uh, one of the editors on as a guest, because it would be so wonderful to talk to them about how they came about curating. Well, first of all, the idea of the anthology and how they came to curate the poems. Um, 
So who knows? Maybe a future episode we'll hear from Leah Silvius or Lee Herrick. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, so randomly selecting a poem. This, let's see, is a long poem. So <laughs> I don't, we'll go with uh, the, on the facing page. Shin Yu Pai's poem, Easter Sunday. This morning, my husband shaves the lawn, the grass trimmer choking up before the yard is fully manicured. We keep our shoes on at our neighbor's flat, Mondi and Pashel greetings, Paschal greetings, traditions we leave behind in Anatoly. At the host table, someone counts the number of skeptics out at sunrise, clipping the green while overheard from the kitchen. I decided to give up Lent for Lent, <laughs> not one to be outdone, the native scribbler shows off her sculpting chops in yellow marshmallow tableau, the memoir of her characters retold through sugar spun rabbits, a gelatin hostess gift for the vegetarian mistress of the household, indelible while tomorrow marks the start of Rwandan Genocide Memorial Week. Remembering eight days into April, the poet of Boston's Joy Street who imagined a new cross in the wind, a communion where we are altered by another's charity, taken aback by the soft push of breath against a cheek. Mm. Oh, these poems are so good. I highly recommend that y'all get a copy of this anthology, ASAP. <laughs> All right, my friends. So, We'll close this episode as we always do with the divine light in me bows to the divine light in you. Until next time, namaste. If you're feeling like fighting the good fight is bringing you down and hope is starting to fade, grab my free seven-day meditative challenge, Spark Joy in Chaos. By signing up for my newsletter, which will be more light to your inbox, go to suryagiyan.com slash subscribe.